it's uh, it's good to good to be with you guys. Good to worship with you guys. Um, I a uh, uh, couple things uh, make mention of. Uh, one thing uh, the uh, we have for those of you that uh, been around know what's going on. Uh, we we're, we're working toward uh, trying to add on to the end of our facility to pick up some more kid space uh, and some offices, uh, which we've never had. Uh, and uh, in 15 years, uh, <laughs> and uh, which is kind of crazy to even think about that, that might actually happen. Uh, but uh, along with all that, part of what we've been kind of waiting on is we've been waiting on, we had to have an appraisal done. Uh, it was uh, time due for us to uh, refinance uh, the loan for uh, the building uh, and stuff. And so um, at the same time, we're looking toward doing this construction loan. And of course, many of you have been stepping up, have turned in commitment cards and all sorts of things of, you know, hey, I'm, I'm committed to this and, you know, let's do it and all that good stuff. And it's, it's been awesome. Everything's been great. The only thing that's been a hitch is we had an appraisal done. You have to have an appraisal done when you do refinancing and that kind of stuff. Same thing with your house. And they came and they did, a re, they did an, uh, an appraisal. We had a company come do an appraisal. And uh, just to be honest with you, it was bad. It was a bad appraisal. And so uh, it came back like several hundred thousand less than the one we had done like, I don't know, five or six years ago or something, which makes zero sense <laughs> because we've done nothing but make improvements. And of course, property around here has done nothing but go up. Uh, and so uh, the bank and us, we, we all felt like we got a bad appraisal, you know, we're, and we, we talked to some other people, we got some people in our church that that's what they do and uh, they do it specifically for buildings like this. And so uh, they, they kind of helped and like, yeah, you, you're probably just going to have to get another one done. So we got another one done and we got it back this past week and it is way above what we needed it to be. Uh, and so long story short, we're going to close in like two weeks on the refinance and the construction loan and all that stuff. Uh, the plans, the site plans, which I think I already shared this with you, site plans have already been approved by the city of Pleasant View uh, and uh, have gone to the state. And the architectural plans for the actual inside stuff has now gone to the state. And so things are progressing and moving forward. Just keep praying and uh, you know, we, we should be breaking ground here pretty soon. So uh, pretty exciting stuff. And uh, I just knew you guys would like to know that. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's going on. Um, also, um, just to make mention, I forgot about this until the very end of the service, last service. Uh, I wanted to say uh, thank you uh, for, uh, if, if you were a part of voting for us to be the best church. Now, this is, to me, this is like a little bit of an awkward thing because, because for, for like, so for like two years now, they've started this thing, and, and I, I, wanna, I, wanna, I don't want to come across as, as not grateful, but at the same time, like this little thing that they do in the paper or whatever for the last couple of years where like you can vote for like, you know, the best businesses in town and stuff and that kind of thing, and, and, and I, I think that's great. I mean, like if I'm in business, I'm all about crush the competition. Like, we're taking you guys down. But like when it's like the church, it's like, you know, I, we're not really competing with anybody unless they're not teaching the gospel. And then, yes, let's crush the competition uh, because we, we want the gospel to go out more than, more than anything. And so anyway, they did this thing, did a vote, and like, you know, we, a second year in a row, and they even do like a breakfast, and they invite, they invite us to come to this breakfast. And I'll just be honest with you, we're not showing up. And it's on purpose because it's like, I, I don't know that I just really want to like go and like have our picture in the paper like, hey, look at us. We're, 
we're the best and you guys stink, you know, or, you know, whatever. I, you know, it's just different when it's the church. So uh, anyway, I, I, want, I don't want to seem ungrateful. I want to say thank you if, you if you were part of voting for us to be the best church in Cheatham County or whatever. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, hopefully that all makes sense to you as to why that's weird a little bit, okay? All right, so cool. Hey, uh, let's go ahead and get our Bibles out. We're going to the book of Mark, and uh, we've, been, we've been going through the book of Mark, and, uh, and we're, we're getting close to the end of the book of Mark. And today, uh, this passage that we're going through today, it's like, it's like some big stuff, uh, and, uh, and, and it's some kind of crazy stuff to some degree too. But in fact, if you don't have a Bible, our ushers have Bibles, uh, and they would love to bring you a Bible. Just throw your hand up and let them know that, uh, that you need one. Marion, you may have the whole room here to yourself for it's over with. Uh, but uh, yeah, just uh, don't make her don't make her walk the aisles for no reason at all. Like you know, at least just out of pity, just take a Bible or something, you know. Uh, and so, uh, but we're going to Mark chapter thirteen today, and uh, and Mark is man, the Lord has been so good to us through the book of Mark, and and challenging us and leading us as a church. And uh, I mean, honestly, just uh, I've just felt uh, like the timing of of the passages have just been amazing and. Uh, you know, th- this particular passage today is kind of a crazy passage because this is a passage uh, that has divided a lot of people over the years. And so, uh, and I'd be like, ooh, we're talking about something controversial today. Well, we're talking about a passage today where Jesus makes some statements that it's hard to understand, like historically speaking, is he talking about stuff that has already happened in history now or is he talking about stuff that has to do with the end times? And so, uh, you know, my job, uh, when it comes to a passage like this, I feel like my job is not to try to convince you to believe what I believe about a passage like this. I, I, think, I think a good pastor and a good teacher in a passage like this will teach the passage, share different viewpoints, and, you know, because at the end of the day, if, 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 if there's no direct, like we know for certain it is definitely this, then there's no reason to me trying to win somebody to, you know, to what I believe on it or whatever. And in fact, furthermore, I think, I think that we have to be careful as the church, as God's people, uh, to not fall into the trap of letting things like this divide us. Because this is not a pillar of our faith. This is not... You know, at the end of the day, Jesus is coming one way or the other, okay? We, we know that. Jesus is coming, coming back one way or another, and, and we, we can look at this passage and go, well, is it, is it talking about it when he's coming? Is it talking about things that happen here? And we'll talk about some of those details or whatever here in a minute, uh, you know, and, and we may not know. And at the end of this, the truth is, is more than likely the majority of us, or maybe every single one of us, will not be able to cross every T and dot every I and for some people, that drives them insane, right? And, and that's okay. It's okay. Uh, so so as, we, as we study through this, um, you know, I, I pray that the Lord speaks to you through it. And one of, the, one of the things that I'm constantly asking myself, especially with a passage like this, that when I'm teaching it, one of the questions that I'm constantly asking myself is, what does the gospel say to this? What does the gospel say to this? What's the good news of what Jesus has done to bring salvation to earth and forgiveness and grace and all those things. What does that, what does that message, what does the plan of God, the mission of God say to this? And so uh, as we study through this, uh, hopefully, hopefully it'll be you know, good for you and hopefully the Lord can speak to your heart. And, and there's a challenge in here. There's a challenge for all of us. In fact, he says it's for all. 
although he's speaking to the disciples in this particular passage, we get to the end and Jesus says, hey, this is for all of you. So we're going to get to that and see that here in just a second too. So, so Mark chapter 13, let's go ahead and jump into this. Uh, Mark chapter 13, verse 14, and this is coming on the heels of the passage we just read before this. Uh, and if you remember you know, some of that, and, and again, also was kind of leading into this is it talking about end times or is it talking about something historically? We don't know. Let's, let's just look at it. Verse 14, it says this. It says, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. By the way, if, uh, I know abomination of desolation sounds awesome, but like, don't go home and call your spouse the abomination of desolation. I, I don't think that that will end well for you. Uh, no, th- so, I, and, and that does it. That term, you know, that, the terminology of those words is just like so like in your face, you know, kind of thing that it's like, wow, you know, what, what in the world is that about? And so there too, we see and have this, you know, little bits of scripture from the Old Testament where we see talk of this, this abomination uh, and, and all this stuff. In fact, if you go to the book of Daniel, in the book of Daniel, you see talk of this, the end of chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter 11. You see him talking about this abomination. And Jesus is using this terminology because they understand it. Jesus isn't Jesus is, is, isn't coming up with something new here. He's talking about something that they have an understanding of. Like they know, they know about the, they know about the stuff from Daniel. Like they're very familiar. So this isn't like something new to them. So what Jesus is doing is he's using wording that they understand and already know to help them to understand there is something crazy coming. Okay? And, and so that's that's this. Now, this could be. You know, a lot of people take this text and 100% believe that the whole thing is about end times. Um, there's, a, there's a statement, and we'll get to it later in the message here, but there's a statement that Jesus makes that I think keeps us, and I'm kind of giving a little bit away, but I, wanna, I want you to kind of have that context as we're reading through the passage, that there's this one statement that Jesus makes that gives us an understanding that it's probably not just about end times if it is about the end times. You know, and, and so with that statement being known, we've got, you know, what we've got here, him talking about things that are going to happen. He is being prophetic. He is talking about things that are going to happen. The question is, is he talking about things that are going to happen in the end? Or is he talking about things that have for us historically already happened, but at the time of Jesus did not happen? So case in point, case in point in 70 A.D., Jesus, if you remember in the passage that we studied last week, that's right before this, we read about Jesus predicting that the temple would be torn down. And when the, Je- and when the temple would be torn down, he was giving all these details and all this kind of stuff, and they were there. They were there at the temple. They were seeing, like, and I talked about how grand it was and how amazing it was, and like, this is the type of building you can't imagine anything ever tearing it down. Uh, but there was a battle, and in 70 AD, it was torn down. And, and so there is a lot of thought. And, and if even, if, even if you take like, uh, there's a Jewish historian, Josephus, who wrote so much stuff about what happened during that time period that we have an understanding that it could very easily, very easily be understood that the things that Jesus is talking about in this passage 
are things that happened then in 70 AD. And that this whole thing that he's working up to was from that. So we don't know. We don't know which. We'll keep going. Verse 15, after he gives the abomination of desolation, standing where he ought not to be, and you know, who are in Judea, flee to the mountains. Then Jesus goes on. He says, let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in these days, pray that it will not happen in winter. So, so Jesus is given this warning. Jesus is given this warning that when this abomination of desolation thing happens in where it ought not be, so let, let, let's, let me give you a little bit of history with this. If you go 150 years before, roundabout, to the time that Jesus is teaching this, you have this moment where uh, Antiphius, Antichifus or something, I remember how to say his name, it looks like Antioch with a fuss on the end of it. Uh, go look it up uh, for yourself, see what you think. Uh, but you know, this guy basically has a takeover and they take over the temple and in the middle of that, he puts on the altar a statue of Zeus and like people can no longer worship there. Like all, all of God's people, like they flee and they, you know, and finally they have a revolt. And in the middle of that, we think he may even had a statue of himself because, you know, if you're going to do that, why not? Uh, you know, and so basically that was this abomination of desolation, this place of where it ought not be, you know, kind of thing. And so when Jesus is saying this, they're thinking, they're thinking about this historical thing that has happened. But the way Jesus is teaching it is that it's going to happen again. Okay, now also again, he's just taught that the temple's going to be torn down. So you've got all these things kind of coming together, all right? And then on top of that, Jesus says, when they happen, flee to the mountains. Flee to the mountains. This is, this is not the typical like battle cry that we're used to seeing a lot of times in Scripture. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like normally it's like, you know, people going to come against God's people, you know, Moses is like, what do I do? You know, God and God's just like, just, you know, just go get there. I'll part the seas. You know, of course, Moses doesn't know that. I mean, just, you know, typically speaking, it's like, you know, we're going to stand. We just studied through Nehemiah. What's Nehemiah do when he gets death threats and all that? He's like, all right, everybody, everybody get a sword and keep working. You know, we're just going to, you know, if they come, then we're just going to, we'll just cut them up and just keep building the wall. You know, we're not stopping, you know, kind of thing. And in this situation, this is Jesus teaching and he's saying, run away. Run for the hills. Seems kind of odd, doesn't it? I think historically speaking, I think one of the things that we see through Scripture and history is that God many times scatters his people. And in scattering his people, what happens? The gospel goes out. The gospel goes out. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a, you know, I, I wish everybody would make the ride kind of thing. And, you know, just, you know, that, that's, that's, that's my heart. That's my mentality. But life doesn't work that way. In fact, me and one of the guys were just talking about this in the, for, in the hallway just a minute ago. Uh, he was just talking to me about, you know, how he's got family out of town and that as time has gone on, 
when he goes to see them, it doesn't feel like they really have time to see him. And, you know, some of it's sad. You know, and I was telling him, I said, you know, I, I, I feel that way sometimes about friendships. That, you know, friendships change over time, and I, and I hate that. You know, I just, you know, you know, I mean, it's just, that's the way, but that's the way life works. God will use moments like that in our lives that we would build new relationships, new friendships, have new families, all these things, and that the gospel might go out. God paints this picture, Jesus paints this picture of what this is going to look like and when it happens that they are to run. In fact, he, if you want to get real specific here, normally if you were going to run away, you would probably run to another city with walls. Jesus says, flee to the mountains. And then he gets specific. He's like, look, this is how serious I am about this. And then he goes through some things. Verse 15, let, let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house, nor take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. In other words, he's saying, you know, I don't care what you're doing. If in the middle of something that you're doing, this happens, you go. Don't go back in the house to get your stuff. Get out of town. Flee to the mountains. In fact, it goes on verse 17, and it'll last for women who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants. In those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. He's saying, for those of you that have a bunch of children, this is not going to be easy for you. This is not going to be easy for you, and for your sake, I hope it's cold. Verse 19, he says, For in those days there was such a tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on your guard. I have told you all things beforehand. Jesus is giving them a warning. He's like, this is going to happen, and when it does, you need to bolt. He goes furthermore into saying, and, and we started into doing this in the, in the passage that we read from last week, earlier in the same chapter, where he's given these warnings and saying like, look, somebody says there's the Christ, there's the Messiah. Know that it's not. <laughs> know that it's not. I made the point last week, like I think when Jesus comes back, we won't have to have people tell us it's Jesus. We'll just be like, it's Jesus. It's time. Like it's about to go down right now, you know, kind of thing. I mean, like, you know, and and you know, and so we've seen people in history come along and say, I'm, you know, I'm the Messiah, I'm God, or you know, whatever. And 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 it's and it's like this. That ought to be an automatic for us to go, no, you're not. I'm the Messiah. No, you're not. I'm Jesus. No, you're not. I'm God. No, you're not. You know, or you know, what's, what's he going says, and, and even the time. We, we won't know the time. He gets into more of that even in just a few minutes. Jesus wants them and wants us to be aware. He wants us to be aware. How do I know? Because he says so in a minute. Verse 24, it keeps going. It says, but in those days, 
after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers in the heavens will be shaken and then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. This is big talk. We're talking about the moon disappearing. I mean, we're like all kinds of stuff. Sun's going out. I mean, we, we know scientifically what's supposed to happen when the sun goes out, right? Everybody's aware, right? Like, we done, all right? Like, we need, we need the sun, you know? So for us to try to understand this passage, I think is, is a big piece of this because if you're, if you're looking at this passage and you're saying, okay, well, uh, the abomination of desolation could have been what happened at 70 AD in history. It's already happened for us, but at that point it hadn't happened yet. And uh, Jesus leads them to believe that it was going to happen soon. But with this, it's like, Okay, what's, what's up? The coming of the Son of Man in the clouds with great power and glory. And the heavens are going to shake and the stars will fall and the sun will be darkened and all these things. Like, what, 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 what are we supposed to make of this? And depending upon who you talk to or who you read, you will hear different thoughts. And there are different thoughts. There's a lot of different thoughts on this. And some of this... This could be talking about end times. It totally could be. According to some other people, some folks look at it and go, you know what, I, I don't think it is talking about end times. I think it's talking about God's judgment coming on his people. And we see God's judgment. And when we hear the terms God's judgment, a lot of times I think we immediately automatically assume the end. Okay, But the truth is, is we've seen God's judgment come at different times in different ways Take things like Noah's Ark or, you know, you know, the flood, I should say, or whatever, you know, I mean, all these, all these, all these things that we've seen through scripture. But here, this could also be, again, that it's talking about a figurative, not a literal, but a figurative understanding of the passage might be that this was what was going to happen at the temple and that this was happening on purpose because God wanted to Number one, scatter his people, okay? But number two, also maybe wanted to destroy the very thing that a lot of people at that point in time were putting their salvation in, which was sacrifices. You know, at that point in time, people would make sacrifices and it was all about, you know, their, their, their relationship with the Lord is all based on sacrifice and, you know, we keep putting on sacrifice and, and we'll give you my best calf or my best, you know, whatever, you know, and, and it was all about trying to please God and make some sacrifice that was enough. On this side of things, we have an understanding because of the cross, because of an empty tomb, that God did a work for us in sending his only son not only to die for us, but to defeat death for us, that we just sang about, that we, we put our trust and our faith in believing in Jesus to be enough to save us, that we understand he is our savior, and there isn't something we can do. We can't make enough sacrifices. We can't go to church enough, can't be nice enough, can't be Christian enough. Whatever. It's truly all based upon our relationship with Jesus. Do you know Jesus as your Savior? 
So is it about is it about God wanting to destroy the temple at this moment in time to get them to understand it's not about their sacrifices, but it's about what my son has done? I don't know. You say, well, Chris, you're a preacher. You're supposed to know all the things. I don't know all the things. You're welcome. There's a, probably another church in town that does, okay? But they're not the best. I, sorry. I could, I could stop myself. I'm so sorry. That was terrible. Lord, forgive me. All right. But you take a passage like this, and man, it's so hard to not take this passage and go, it's got to be about the end times, you know? And is it? Yeah, maybe. And, and, and again, we're going to see a verse here in a minute that just kind of throws a wrench in all of it, which is what kind of like, you know, so that's why we're on this train of like trying to track with the possibility that it's not, and you'll see why in just a minute. But then you have passages like 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, which says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with a voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. And so we have a, you know, we take passages like that because we, you know, we try to study Scripture systematically and, and see what's the whole of Scripture saying about something. And you take that and you're like, well, man, that sounds just, that sounds so close to like what we're talking about here. And it does. And so that's why some will take the notion that, you know, this is about end times. Then, then you have, then you have stuff like, and we're not going to go there, but you can write down, you can check it out later, but 2 Kings 6, where you have stuff like Elisha speaking of seeing men and chariots of fire. Chariots of Fire is a good 80s song, too. Uh, but, you know, you've got, you got, you got this vision, this, th- this thing that he's seen, and apparently other people see it, too, at the same time. There's so much that goes in that passage. You go check it out. You know, and so, you know, then there's people that say, well, you know, it's this, it's this saying of, like, this is something that, that God was going to do, and we, and we see Josephus talking about some of the crazy things that happened when the temple was torn down in 70 AD. You go back and read some of the stuff that we see in history from that, and you're like, uh, that might all be, like, actually describing what happened in 70 AD. We don't know. I think important to remember either way is that Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back. And his promises stay true over and over. And he himself was so prophetically truthful with his predictions of what would happen with the temple and what did happen in 70 AD without a doubt plays a part of this passage of Scripture. There's no way that it doesn't. There's no way that this is completely all about the end times, which I know people can like get so like infatuated with like the end time stuff. You know, like we so desperately want to know exactly how everything's going to happen and what it's going to look like and how it's going to go down. And really, that's how we got here. Because the disciples start Mark 13 with two questions. Jesus, what's it going to look like? How's it going to happen? When is it going to happen? And this is Jesus answering their questions. The thing is, (laughs) because he's Jesus, and he's sneaky, 
He answers questions a lot in ways that people are not looking for. Like, it's not always the answer that we want that God will give us, right? Like, we know that. We know that sometimes he doesn't tell us every single thing. And sometimes, and, and I would say all the time, that's for our good and his understanding of his great plan and mission for this world in our lives. That's hard to remember. And it's hard to keep that focus. Jesus goes on teaching here. And he picks up teaching about the fig tree. And you guys remember the fig tree, right? We, we, we studied the fig tree a while back where Jesus talked about the fig tree. And in talking about the fig tree, uh, Jesus was using this fig tree that he cursed. And if you remember it, it withered and died and all this kind of stuff. And everybody, people's kind of mad about it or whatever. And like, why is Jesus using his power to destroy stuff and everything? But Jesus, Jesus used the fig tree as a point. The whole point of this tree, which he created to begin with, uh, the whole point of this tree was the understanding that Jesus was trying to help them to see that when God's people cease to bear fruit, they die. They no longer are useful. And so over and over again through history, we see God kind of you know, revamping this same idea. Now, Jesus brings back the fig tree in this passage of Scripture, but to be honest with you, I don't think that it really has anything to do with that specifically, but he's pointing to something that he knows that they're familiar with, and he's, he's bringing up a point about fig trees. Let's read it, verse 28. It says, From the fig tree, from the, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also... When you see these things take place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, and folks, this is the verse. This is the verse that could divide all kinds of people if people will let it. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Say, Chris, what's so big about that verse? Think about it. Jesus is teaching the disciples. It's just him and the disciples. Jesus is teaching the disciples, and he says to them, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. He is saying to them, you will see in the lifetime of your generation the things that we've been talking about happen. So that's why we have to know that at least parts of this, if not all of it, in some way, shape, or form is talking about what would eventually end up happening, which he predicted, which was that the temple would be torn down, 70 AD. And then furthermore, from there, you know, well, does it continue to have implications on the future? Well, yeah, I'm sure it does. And in what ways? I don't know. I, I can't, I, I'm not Jesus, I can't predict for you the end times. I have no way to be able to do that. And in fact, you know, Jesus is taking this fig tree thing, and he's really, what he's saying is he's saying, you know, just like with a fig tree, when its, when its branches get tender and it starts to produce leaves, you know that the season is going to change. 
The only reason he brings up the fig tree is he's saying, just like with the fig tree, you know when the season's going to change. I'm giving you the information you need to be on watch for when these things happen, you need to what? Flee for the mountains, <laughs> right? Again, he's talking to them in that moment. And so there is this historical understanding and this obviously spirit-led understanding of like this might be more for us today. And I think it is more for us today. And in fact, he's going to get into some of those things. And, and here's the thing, here's the thing, and I could be completely wrong, but here's the thing that I think about, and especially when I go back to that question, what does the gospel say to this? Is like, if, if Jesus were here standing on stage, and I, we were like, Jesus, we're so glad you could make it here today. We're so glad, so glad you took time out of your busy schedule to come and spend a few moments with us in Pleasant View. We've got a couple of questions we're wondering, what does this mean? <laughs> and, and I think Jesus, if Jesus was here today, I think he would probably say to us, I think he'd be like, well, you know what? Um, I, I got a question for you guys. Why, why are you so worried about it? And didn't you really get the main gist of like what I came to do and why I came to die on a cross, rise from a grave? Teach all the things I taught? Like, did, didn't, you, didn't you get the big gist of all of that stuff? I think Jesus would say, it is important for us to study on these things and to have understanding of these things, but at the same time, don't get wrapped up in them. Don't get wrapped up in ways that divide. Don't get wrapped up in ways that lead you astray from the main thing. How do I know that? Because I think that's kind of what he's saying starting in verse 32. And in verse 32, it says this. It says, but concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Who knows? What's that say? Are you reading that? Because I, I, th I think this is huge. Only the Father knows. Okay, well, yeah, we're, we're used to God knowing stuff that we don't know, but who else doesn't know? The angels in heaven, nor even the Son, God's calling. I can't ignore it. <laughs> Not even the Son. You see it, right? Jesus is saying, I don't know. I don't know when it's going to happen. And so again, just like with the people that come along and say, well, I'm Jesus, and he, Jesus is like, uh, when they say that, you, know that, you can know that they're not, okay? Uh, but number two, not only, just, just like that, but when people predict, and we mentioned this last week, when people predict when the time is going to come that the Son of Man will come, that no one knows. So if somebody says to you, hey, Next Thursday at 2 o'clock, Jesus is coming back. You can go, no, he's not. <laughs> and they go, oh, I meant Friday, Friday, at, Friday at 3. No, he's not. I mean, like, like, like basically anytime anybody guesses when Jesus is coming back, you can go, no, he's not. Not even Jesus knows. I think this is incredible information. 
And I think, honestly, this could be like a week of Bible studies of like, why is it that God didn't allow Jesus to have this information? I mean, you think about it. Jesus is God. He's still God. He's fully God. He's fully man. But the Father has a piece of information about something here that Jesus himself doesn't know. I think a lot of that has to do with the Father knew that he didn't need to have that information when he was answering questions like this. He didn't want everybody to know. Jesus probably would have spilled the beans. He's Jesus. He loves everybody. And he's like, oh, yeah, you want to know something? I'll, I'll tell you. It might not be the way that you thought I would. And then Jesus goes on. And he says, be on guard. Keep awake for you do not know when the time will come. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. And so this, this could easily be taken as like, well, this must be for the disciples and their generation, God's people in that generation, to be ready for what God was going to allow to happen with the tearing down of the temple and all those things that were going to happen in 70 AD. So it must all be about that, right? Keep going. Verse 34. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Let's, let's talk about it for just a second. So in, in that culture, houses, living quarters would be together and oftentimes with like a courtyard or something, and then you would have a gate all right, and we, we're somewhat familiar with some of that because we saw Nehemiah and they're building gates around the city. I think this is even like smaller gates and you would have doorkeepers. You'd have somebody that is posted up and is watching over things. And so you're talking about like if you're going to leave your children, what's it say? You know, it's like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and he puts his ser servants in charge, each with his work and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Why does he tell the doorkeeper to stay awake? Because he doesn't want anybody coming to rob his house. He doesn't want anybody to come and harm his family. Verse 35, it goes on, it says, Therefore, stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. Surely this is just for the disciples, right? Hmm, maybe not. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, even in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows. I love that that's getting thrown in there. Or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to who? All. This is not just for the disciples. He says, what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake. And that's why I believe if Jesus were here today, and he was going to discuss this with us, that he would probably be more concerned, that we're more concerned with trying to figure out how to you know, connect all the dots than we are about being faithful with what he's given us right this minute to handle. Stay awake. Stay awake. You take, take, all, you take all, of the, all, of the, all of the stories, all the parables that Jesus taught throughout his ministry and over and over again, he's trying to help us to see the importance of being faithful with the right now. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep at the wheel. Stay awake. 
We don't know exactly when he's coming back. But we know he's coming. And here's my concern with stay awake. We as believers obviously are called to fight the fight, stay in it, don't let the things of this world come against us and keep us from doing what we're called to do. Stay awake, right? We, we get that. But, but I'll tell you, what concerns me is that to be awake means that you had to have woken up at some point to begin with. Case in point, John 3.3. 3. John 3.3, 3, and it just felt so appropriate, and it's so simple, and it cuts right to the chase, and it says, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see what God has done through Jesus in sending His Son to die for us. He took on the death that we deserve for our sin that we might be forgiven. You see, Scripture teaches us that that sin has a penalty and the penalty is death. And God is a just God. But to set things right, He sent Jesus to take our place to stand in front of the judge and say, I'll take theirs. I'll take their punishment. Let them go free. And Jesus stands before the Father on our behalf through the cross, through the shedding of His blood and giving His life to take that place for us. But not only that He took that death, but that He would defeat death and three days later would rise again to again show the fulfillment of prophecy of all time, that God would do this amazing thing, that he would do it on our behalf, and that death can't hold him. Death can't keep him, and we just sing about it. And for us today, that means that death can't hold us either. If, if we've woken up in the first place, You see, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. means that there at some point in our life comes a moment where we feel God speaking to us through the Holy Spirit to turn to him, to trust in him, to believe in him, that he is enough, that Jesus is enough to be our Savior. And believing in him is the only thing that can save us, not our sacrifices, not our church attendance, not our kindness. We need Jesus. God is leaving us as doorkeepers. And to us today, He is saying, stay awake. This morning, are we awake? Are we ready? At moment's notice, Are we so worried about running back in the house to get our things? Or if God calls us to something right this second, are we going to jump and go for it and let Him lead us? I pray that we will stay awake.
Let's pray. God, I pray for anyone that hasn't trusted in you to be their Savior. God, I pray that we as your people, Lord, that we would be faithful. We would be faithful to staying awake. We'd be faithful to the moments that you put in front of us, that we would be faithful with with how we love people and care for others and allow you to lead us in this life. Lord, we need your help with that, and you know it. And God, I pray for those that have yet to wake up. I pray for those who have not been born into this new life that you can give. God, I pray for anyone that hasn't trusted in you and believed in you today, Lord, that you would do a great work in their life, Lord, that you would save them from their sin. Thank you, Lord, for doing that in my life. God, I'm not worthy. I don't deserve it. God, you are to be glorified for your love and your grace in all of us and for all of us. God, work in us. Use us. May we glorify you in all we do. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen.